Welcome back to the American Overlander podcast. I'm your host, Will Fowler from Venture to Rome. With me is my best buddy in the whole world, Chris from Frontier State Overland. And today we are talking about the, 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 the BDR. So in our last episode, we did a recap of the summer and our um, overlanding trip um, from Boise to Bend to go to Overland Expo Pacific Northwest. And today we're talking about what happened next. But we're not going to talk about all of it because we can't. It would take us many, 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 many hours. So we're just going to talk about the first part of the BDR. And so, first of all, I just want to say thanks for being here, Chris. Hey, thanks for having me, Willis. It's always <laughs> a lot of fun. And second of all, I want to just explain very quickly what the BDR is. So the BDR is 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 an acronym for the Backcountry Discovery Route. And there's a website called ridebdr.org where there is a group of folks who have explored different states, explored different routes on adventure bikes um, and created these routes that you can basically do some adventure traveling on. They're all multi-day routes. They're, they're, they kind of go back and forth between dirt roads and paved roads, but the intent is to keep on dirt roads and to see some of the most remote and wild and unexplored places that these regions have to offer. And Idaho's just happens to be the longest BDR of all of them. I think there are 12 um, or so. It's not the most technical. Um, I think there are other BDRs that have probably rougher roads and places and more obstacles and different weather things that happen, but it is the longest. And as we'll talk about, maybe not in this episode, maybe in other episodes, there are certainly parts of the BDR that uh, I would call technical, especially if you do some of the side shoots. So that's what the BDR is. And Chris and I have been talking about doing the BDR for years. And we did a podcast earlier this summer, or maybe it was late spring, on like prepping for the BDR. And now we've done it. And so now we're going to recap um, some of those experiences. So first of all, Chris, we had to figure out how to do this thing in one fell swoop. And originally we wanted to bring everyone with us. We wanted to bring our wives and our kids. And then we realized at some point that that was just not in the cards at all. Yeah. And that was something that we just, I think it was after we got the map from the actual ride BDR and um, started looking at just like logistically how long this thing is. And if you look at it, you're like, okay, well, you know, we can drive, you know, the entire length of Idaho in just like a couple of days, no problem. But, but it is a problem because it's, it's not just a... I remember at the very end of the BDR, I think we were talking about this on the radio. We were like, are you kidding me? Can like, we're getting back on a dirt road right now. We're like 10 miles from the border. Like just give it up already. But they're like, nope, there, here's one more dirt road you can ride before you get to the Canadian border. Exactly. It was, it was one of those things where I kept like, I, you know, I'd put in like, was it Port Hill, Idaho was like the, uh, the last stop on the, on the whole route, like it's right at the Canadian border. And my um, GPS kept saying, like, it kept trying to reroute me like, it's like, you're five miles away. And so we'd follow the BDR route. And it's like, no, now we're going, we're 10 miles away. Now we're 15. <laughs> now we're 20. Exactly. But yeah. at the same time, it's like, okay, you know, a lot of respect for these guys, because you know, they want you to see things that, um, you know, it's not about like getting there fast. It's about getting there, um, in style and the whole experience. So 
I think the Idaho BDR embodies that like to a T. It's like it's really not about getting there. It's truly about the journey to get to wherever you're going. I remember getting to Port Hill and we'll talk about this when we actually talk about like the end. Um, we'll do a whole thing on the end. And I've and just so people know listening, I've already edited the end to the BDR series on the videos. I couldn't stop myself from editing the end. So I have a rough draft of the end and clearly I have the beginning because we launched the first video last week. And it is so incredible how much we changed from beginning to end. Like when we got to the end of the BDR, we were so tired. We were so weary. We had gone through so much. And Port Hill is like not an impressive destination. It, there's, it's like you get to a fence and a stop sign, basically. And it's like, that's not what was impressive about the trip. It wasn't where we got to. It was the experience of getting there. So I think it really, truly embodies that kind of overlanding ethos because it's 1,200 miles on, I think, I think some of the most remote roads in the entire U.S. So when we get to Magruder Corridor and Lolo, we'll talk about the remoteness, but it's basically a road that's packed in the middle of 6 million acres of protected land. So um, in any case, we wanted to do this with our families and our wives had things going on this summer that prevented them from, from being there for really most of it. And they had enough stuff going on that we wanted to bring our kids with us for, for part of it. So these first, I don't know, maybe three or four nights we had Mm -hmm. kids in tow and it was like a dad's trip with the kids because Kate and Elsha were not, they didn't meet up with us until the third night or the fourth night when we got into yellow pine. Yeah. Yeah. So here we are starting out full rigs. We are packed to the gills because we're ready for, you know, what we thought was maybe an eight to 10 day trip, which turned out to be much longer than that. But we thought, (laughs) you know, we have all this stuff, all we're all supplied up and we have our kids and all their stuff. You know, I remember just looking at the back of my Jeep and thinking like, how am I going to do this? There's so much stuff I've got like, so I've got like so many bags and so much supplies and things to keep the kids happy in the car. And it was just a ton of stuff. So we were driving out to Jarbage um, and we drove out mostly on paved roads and it was, it's just this very surreal experience for me having just come off of Overland Expo Pacific Northwest. We had one day off to like wash our clothes and then we left for the BDR and it was just, I felt like we were in the middle of an adventure, not necessarily starting, not necessarily starting one brand new. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would definitely agree. Um, like the whole, um, yeah, the whole Ben trip, like was kind of like the appetizer and it was kind of almost like a shakedown run, which by the way, the Ben trip was, um, you know, it, it was quite an adventure in of itself. Yep. Um, but yeah, just, just the whole like part of like driving to Jarbage, which you've been to before. I don't know. There was like a lot of anticipation there. And then, um, you know, like you said, we got the kids with us and after like the, you know, the second or third night, they were kind of, they were kind of done. They were ready to be on to other things. So, yeah. um, I think taking them for the entire trip would have been 
doable, but I don't think it would have been pleasant for them or for us. I agree. I I so agree with that. And Emerson, my son, my seven-year-old son, still gives me a hard time. He's like, Dad, I wanted to do the whole BDR. I wanted to go with you and Uncle Chris and Rob the whole time, and I want to go do that. So that's good. I mean, it's good, but it's also... Probably was good that he wasn't there for his own sake. Um, I forgot to say something about the 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 day we had in between um, uh, coming back from Bend and starting the BDR. That day we had company, so we had oh. Matt and Matt and Kara from Ozark Overland Adventures were driving back to Arkansas, and they came through Boise. Rob was with them, so they'd been hanging out, and they had spent a night on the road together on the way here because Rob was going to meet us in Jarbage. And, and so Rob and Kara and Matt uh, were in the middle of their own massive adventure because you, Matt and Kara drove over from Arkansas. That took a couple days to get to Bend, and they had a couple, and they're in Bend for three or four nights, and then they had to, you know, more time to get all the way back to Arkansas. Um, Rob, same. I think Rob had finished the Pacific Crest Trail in in Oregon, and then flown back home really fast, and then flown back up to I want to say like he flew to Seattle or something, and then drove his rig down into the Owyhees to do to make this video before starting the uh, Overland Expo, and then drove to Boise. And he, anyway, it was this whole crazy. Like, there was just people all over the Northwest, YouTubers everywhere, and that day. Uh, dear friends came into town and I just let them kind of reset at our house. So they came and I said, Hey, we got plenty of space in our house. Come over. I'll make you like the best breakfast. Um, do your laundry, take showers, just like do all those things that are so luxurious when you're on the road like that. And so they did. And Rob was picking up some stuff and getting something fixed. I think he had shredded a tire or something. So he was getting one of his tires replaced. And that took a little Didn't he have like all of his tires sent to you? Like to your house or something? <laughs> he, had, he had one sent to me. So he, I think he shredded a tire and Toyo sent him a new tire. But since he was on the road, he just had it sent to my house. And same with the can't, like he ordered a new Insta360 camera that has a really cool new sensor on it that he used on this, actually on the BDR trip. He had that sent into Boise as well. And so I was kind of doing a little shipping receiving, but I was so happy to do it because it's so easy for me to do. It cost me nothing to help these folks out. So anyway, so they were there. They came over. We went out to lunch at Ten Barrel Brewing, which is also a brewery out of uh, Bend, I think, but yeah. they have a restaurant here in Boise. Um, yep. And they have great nach- Idaho nachos, by the way. <laughs> there you go. And then we left the house at like three or four in the afternoon. Um, and I had like I still had to like do my laundry for the BDR that started the next day, and I and I was, but I was you know, I was helping them out the best I could. They didn't really need my help, mm-hmm. but giving them a place and hanging out with them because they're my friends. And I hadn't, I hadn't ever seen them in person except for when we met them at, in Bend. Um, and so it was kind of just a lot of fun. And then they were like, hey, Will, show us some trails. Um, and I was like, absolutely. I mean, we had talked about it beforehand. Don't get me wrong. But we left to go so I could go show them some trails. And I really wanted to show them more than I could. And I was going to make a video about it, but I still have enough footage because I was like, I was only with them for like two hours. I had to turn around at 5.15 on the trail to get back because I had to like pick up my kids at 6 p.m. and then start packing for the BDR. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, man. So, um, but I took them out to the South Fork of the Boise River, which we will revisit later on this podcast. 
um, and showed him a couple spots that you and I know and love that mm-hmm. are just super scenic. It's probably the number one spot that I get dinged on on social media. People want to, people want the coordinates, which I, I typically don't give out. Um, but obviously give out to, you know, Matt and Karen and, and Rob, but know and trust them and they're tread lightly and just, you know, good people. So, um, they wound up having their own little Idaho adventure. Rob stayed with them that night, someplace in the Idaho mountains. I turned around and came home the next day is when we left and Rob was meeting us in Jarbage. And I think, I think we met in Jarbage at like 6 PM. Yeah, it was in the, it was a little bit later than we thought it would be. And, um, yeah. And I think we actually beat him into, um, into garbage. We were, no, like, no, he beat tilt. us. No, he was, oh, did no, he? no, he was, yeah, yeah. He, he's got that tundra, man. He just floored it. And he was there waiting for us at the Red Dog Saloon, which was closed. And so, um, little did I know the owner of the Red Dog Saloon and the owner of the Outdoor Inn, and restaurant saw us roll into town, um, and and came out and barked at me the next morning when we came back to fill up for gas. Yeah, but Jace, uh, Jace, who is awesome, he's featured yeah, on that first video nice because guy. I just yes, I love him and Jane, his wife. They run a a really awesome establishment, and it's just so cool that they have chosen to live in Jarbage, and it, I think largely Jarbage is so such a great place to visit because of the work they've put in to make it an actual destination. They know, they know it's like the beginning or the end of things. They know it's not like, it's not like, Hey, let's go for a vacation in garbage. They know it's a lot of people passing through or gassing up. And so they've taken steps to make sure that it's like the most cool, welcoming place. People will stay just a little bit longer to go into the jail or the community house or to get prime rib or to get some fancy whiskey. You know, they've really, they've really done that to garbage, which, which I find to be super charming. And, um, and I know how much work it takes to run uh, businesses like that. So a lot of respect for Jace. And I forgot to mention on the way in, we saw, it was so cool. It was like, and we had all these omens and I didn't capture this on a video cause I wasn't really filming our Trek to garbage. Um, but we saw this group of motorcycles Yeah, and, and we they were, were coming in from um, a different direction, but we kind of crossed paths. Yeah. We like, I remember like we came to like a stop sign out in the middle of like nowhere yeah. and all of a sudden this big group of, um, adventure bikes come just like cruising past. And so yeah, there was like there was like ten or twelve them. of them, I think. Yeah, at least. Yeah, that's probably about right, ten or twelve. And so we we pull in behind them, and we're just like, you know, following them. And then they um, they stop off at the spot where we like to air down, and right. uh, we start talking to them. And they were from where New York. They were from all over. So there was a, like a tour guide, and I can't remember I can't remember the name of the company, but there's a tour guide that will show you, will basically be your BDR guide up to Canada. And then mm-hmm. he'll pick up a group in Canada and be their BDR gr- guide down to Jarbage. Um, and so we talked to these guys. They were super interested in our Jeeps. You know, it's like, it's like there's this overlanding ethos. It's like, oh, you're on your bike. That's so cool. And it's like, and they're like, what is those? It's like, what are those things? And I was like, oh, those are traction boards. It's like, what do you use those for? It's like, oh, you know, here's, it's like, oh, that's cool. You know, we're talking. And Sorry to interrupt. I, I just want to make sure that everybody that's listening knows that Will, it sounds like he's exaggerating these guys' accent, but he is not. Like, they were like, <laughs> yeah, no. did you guys like, rent like, those Jeeps? Are these yours? Did you rent them? Where'd you get them? 
you know, and stuff yeah, like that. He's like, and, come and, over here. I want to talk to you about your Jeep. I mean, it was like using the hand motions. It was very like New York. It was Jersey. like Goodfellas. Yeah. Yeah. But they were super nice. Like they were, oh, I yeah. mean, if they were gangsters, they were totally nice gangsters. But, um, so, this, so we were talking to him and he was like, he was like, yeah, we flew in from New York. You know, I just, I've always wanted to do BDR. And so I rented a bike and got this tour guy. We're going to go up. I figured do the Idaho one first. And, and I was like, oh my gosh, you just, you're renting a bike and just learning about what they were doing. And, and he was like, you know, I love this idea, but I'd never tried it before. So I wanted to start on one that was maybe a little bit easier. And I was like, yeah, I mean, Idaho's for a bike. It's probably plenty easy. It's long, but he's like, you know, we're just having conversation. He's like, talking about the G and just so cool and then they left and i mean they're so much faster than we are on most things i mean there are there is some stuff that i think we can do a lot faster than them with four wheels but for the most part you know Mm -hmm. windy roads they're just gonna floor it so they went into garbage we kept Aaron down or whatever and drove in and then they were there at the outdoor inn when we rolled into town to meet rob yeah some waves and that's the last time we saw him yeah, <laughs> exactly. The they were gone. <laughs> they were way out of us. Oh yeah, there was a couple of times we did run into a few other like um, groups that were doing the BDR, um, but it wasn't the same guys. And there was a couple of times I was like, "Oh, are they the same?" Yeah, no, they weren't. Um, no, there they were long gone. Yeah, but um, when we got into Jarbage, we kind of and met up with with Rob. Um, we kind of just, were kind of debating like, "Oh, should we, you know, maybe stay for Prime Rib or, you know." just go and find a camp spot and we're kind of like, well, there's a lot of people here and um, we don't want to like overwhelm Jace with prime rib. And so that kind of ties back to um, some of the grief that, that the next day that Jace gave, gave us. Yeah. So we decided, we decided to go up and find a camping spot. And I had a couple that I had specked out on Google earth and I, I, you know, been a garbage now enough times that I kind of know, I kind of had a good feeling that we could go find something, but I wasn't sure and uh, so let me set the scene for what Jarbage is. Jarbage is a town at the end of what I would call the Bruno Desert and the beginning of the Jarbage Mountains. And the Jarbage Mountains are no joke. They're 10,000. I think there's a Matterhorn that's 12,000 feet high there. So these are legit mountains. And so it's just really interesting place. Like the town itself, I think, sits at about 6,000 feet. And so from there, we drove up a mountainside, found a camping spot around 8,000 feet on top of one of these mountains. And we set up camp. I, Rob was going up there to turn around. I was like, follow me guys. I, I got this on Gaia. I'm going to find us a camping spot. And then I was, went down this road and I was like, okay, this is not going to work. And Rob was like, okay, I'll just go up and I'll, I'll just turn around someplace and we'll, we'll keep looking. And he was like, oh, wait a minute this place I'm turning around is actually incredible. Maybe we should just camp here. And I was like, where are you? <laughs> I like lost <laughs> you guys. I was like, I don't know where you are. So well, we camped on top of this mountain and it was uh, another good omen. They were, there was good and bad of that mountain, but another good omen because we had this magical moonrise. I mean, it was like nothing I've ever seen before. Yeah, it was just beautiful. And then, so there was the the moonrise and, and the moon was just like, <clears throat> excuse me the moon was just like massive as it came up over the mountains and then you could look and down at like towards Jarbage and just see like forever and then off in the yeah. other direction you know towards elko um it was just views for days and um yeah it w- and we just kind of stumbled on this spot but it was just perfect it was a plus except for one thing that particular evening there was a storm mm-hmm. front 
and we were on the edge of the storm front, which is, if you know anything about storm fronts, being on the edge of one is like the worst place to be because that's where all the wind is. It's where, you know, the wind is created when two fronts meet. And we were like right on the edge of these two fronts because there was storm, there were storms and thunder and rain happening like a ridge away from us. And all we got was the wind. Um, And it was blowing so hard. This is the hardest wind I've ever camped in. We, I remember I had to reposition my Jeep um, so the hard shell would be kind of propped up into the wind. You were fine. I think Rob repositioned just a little bit. And sleeping that night, or what little sleep I got, was hard to come by. And I remember waking up because my pillow is kind of up against the hard shell a little bit as I'm sleeping in the tent. And it started to close. Like I could feel it closing on my oh, head. No. Now, I don't really think there was a risk of the actual shell closing, but it was moving. It was starting to move down a little bit. And when you're sleeping like that, even it moving an inch, like you feel it and you're like, oh, oh my God, what's happening? So um, that was a, a terrible, terrible, terrible night of sleep and really an awful way to start a grueling journey was to have like no sleep the night, that first night. Yeah. And I, I was kind of in the same boat too. Like we had, um, repositioned my, uh, my Jeep too. So the way the hard shell took the brunt of the wind and exactly the same thing woke up and I could feel the tent. Um, I put up like the, uh, the, the brace rod or whatever you want to call it. And so I wasn't too worried about it except like as the night went on and, you know, you get to be kind of sleep deprived and your imagination runs wild in the dark and, you know, you're sleeping right there next to one of your kids. So, all of a sudden my mind, like my imagination just started going wild. And I was like, oh no, it's going to like, it's going to slam shut. And, uh, they're going to find my lifeless corpse next to my, you know, daughter and <laughs> with the hard shell, I'm going to be one of the yeah. hard shell tent statistics, which, you know, honestly, you know, I don't think anybody's ever died in a hard shell tent, but they don't exist. Yeah, exactly. Know but yeah. it was, it was kind of a nerve wracking. So there was like the actual movement, but then there's just the sound, the, the noise, um, cause there was nothing like buffering that wind and it, you know, when it hits the side of those, um, hard shell tents, it's nice because, you know, you get, it, it kind of takes the brunt of it, but at the same time too, it just gets super loud. And, um, yeah, it, it was, it was a rough way to start off the, uh, start off the trip. Yeah. And, and, and probably just as important, the kids didn't get much sleep that night. And so they were a little grumpy in the morning, but we were in good spirits the next morning. We were joking around about, you know, our lack of sleep and we were still at the point in the trip where we were all very accommodating to each other. Like there's this, when you're traveling with people for the first time, so me and you traveled lots, but we'd never traveled with Rob before. And Rob is like one of the nicest guys on the planet. And he's, he was on the podcast a long time ago and, and he and I, and, and he, and you and he have gotten to know each other over, you know, over some course of time. So it's not like he was a stranger or anything, but we'd never traveled. And when you travel with somebody, especially when you overland and camp with somebody, you form a different kind of relationship. Like you know different things about each other and you have to make decisions together as a group that have different kinds of consequences than if you're just staying at a hotel. So, um, but so I'm, I'm forecasting that we all got along the whole time. There's no, there's no story there where like there were some disagreement or something, but still we're at the point in the trip where we're probably being more accommodating than we needed to be. Um, and so we're in good spirits. We're like, you know, let's just 
be, you know, tell jokes and be happy and kind of hide the fact that we're all really grumpy and tired. Um, and, uh, and we got off that mountaintop, I think about nine fifteen in the morning. I, I think the reason that we left a little bit later in the morning, which by the way, I will share a theme about Rob Miller, Revere Overland is that he is not an early riser. Um, and so I thought we were leaving really late. I think Rob thought we were leaving a little bit early. Um, but we tried to sleep in a little bit because we didn't get any, any rest. Um, Headed down the mountain about 9.15, 9.30. It's real close to Jarbage. So it only took us about 20, 25 minutes to get down into Jarbage. As we were gassing up, Jace, the owner of Red Dog Saloon and Outdoor Inn, starts yelling at me from down the road. He's like, you missed prime rib last night, man. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> he's going to be mad. And the, there's a little bit of a story here with Jace. Because we met him uh, the first time we came to Jarbage, which was a couple years ago in March, I think. We did kind of a winter trip. And there's, I think, a really fun video of that where we feature the Red Dog Saloon. And um, so we got to know him, became friends. And then we were going to do Prime Rib that night, but we decided not to. Worst Um, decision of our lives. It was a bad decision. We should definitely should have had Prime Rib. And then the next... February was it the next February or was it a year after that? I can't remember. In any case, there was another time that we we're back. Yeah, it was in the February Bruno Desert in the winter. Yeah. So it was the so it was the following. So almost almost a year later. Yep. We were back in the Bruno Desert, and our plan was to make this trek into Jarbage to have prime rib. Like that was going to be like a feature of the trip, and we got stuck on one side of the ca- canyon because the road was way too sketchy to go down. And we were out of cell coverage. We, we, we had texted Jace that, hey, we're coming in. There's five of us. We're going to have prime rib. And I remember when we got back into cell coverage, there was like some reasonably concerned texts from Jace. Like, are you guys okay? Like, I'm expecting you to come in tonight. And so, you know, obviously we were super apologetic and he was very understanding. But there's two missed opportunities to have <laughs> to have prime rib. And then, and then we came to the garbage. I didn't know because I guess it was Tuesday night that's prime rib night. So like we missed it again. It was like, Oh dude, I am so sorry. We would definitely need to come out there for prime rib one of these days. Yeah, definitely. I feel like we're, uh, you know, kind of, uh, we're, I think, well, I know that we're missing out because, um, his prime rib is, is legendary. Like, you know, since that video came out, I've had several people come up to me and say, you know what, if you have a chance to get Jace's prime rib, you do it. And I was like, Oh, Oh, I already felt bad about it before, and now I feel even worse. So yeah. So Jason, if you're yeah, listening, to I think this. we're going to have to make a special prime rib overlanding adventure with the family. Exactly, and we'll maybe we'll just stay at the end too. I think it'd be fun to just actually stay in the in the hotel or the motel that's there and and see what that's about too. So anyway, so so we will get to the trip. We've been talking about all the backstory and everything, but let's get to the actual BDR. So then there's this moment where we set our odometers to zero in garbage. And it was I'll I'll probably never forget that moment because this is a bucket list trip for us, man. I mean, this is we're native Idahoans. This is like our place. We're doing this BDR thing. We're, we're driving the whole thing on backcountry roads, and I am beyond stoked about it. And I know you are too. So we set zero. We start out from Jarbage, and it, it was a little surreal, um, but it was also a little weird, at least for me, because I know the roads. It was like, we're starting and it's almost like I'm driving around the block of my house. (laughs) You know, like I know this road. I've been in this canyon a bunch of times. I know the terrain out here, but we started the BDR. So it was almost as if 
we started, but for me, like we hadn't really started. And Rob's experience was totally different. He's like, I never been on this road before. The whole thing's amazing to me. But for me, I was like, okay, let's skip forward. I want to skip past this part because I've driven it already and get to those parts that I haven't. And that didn't come for a while. Yeah. Well, and we had like, before we even started, we had talked about like, okay, well, maybe we should do the route from um, north to south instead. And then we kind of decided, well, um, if we get down to like, um, I don't know, prairie or something, are we just going to like kind of phone it in and say, okay, we've already been here. Let's go home. Yep. And so we made a calculated decision to like start it from south and go north. Yep. And so it was interesting because it was a familiar area you know, driving from Jarbage through Bruno all the way to like Glens Ferry and, and that area, we'd all, we'd all been through there. But yeah, at the same time too, um, I don't know, I guess like for me, it's kind of like, um, you know, running a race when you start off with kind of like a, kind of like a, a slow jog and kind of find your pace. And that's kind of, kind of how it felt like to me, like starting it off, you know, we set the, the odometers to zero, um, there was like that anticipation and that excitement and, but also this familiarity too. And mm-hmm. then you had kind of this other layer of like, okay, what else is, is up ahead? And so just, just really excited. And, and, uh, I don't know, I was going to say nervous, but I don't know that I was necessarily nervous. No, um, no. And, and so like we take this first part for granted a little bit cause we, cause we're from this part of Idaho but let me let me lay out the land for folks who don't know this part of Idaho. So Jarbage sits in a canyon or at the end of a canyon. The Jarbage River uh, runs through this massive desert area. It's a high desert. I think it's about 2,000 feet elevation or so. Um, and it is, uh, it's carved up by the Jarbage River and the Bruno River. And it's just massive, open, flat, open range, uh, sagebrush and you know, prairie grass with some mountains in the far, far distance. But like when you put a drone out there to kind of get a little bit more of an aerial view, you just kind of see grass forever. Um, and the, <laughs> the can- sagebrush. Yeah. And these canyons are, are pretty dramatic. They're not, they're not like the Owyhee canyons. They're probably 600 feet or so. So, that you know, that's a good slice that you're in these canyons. They're narrow, though. They're a lot narrower than parts of um, parts of the Owyhee Canyonlands. So you kind of drive through the canyon, at the very bottom of the canyon, you just follow the river, and then you pop up. And when you pop up, that's when you see this kind of expansive desert area. And then you just drive almost like a direct straight line until you get to the Snake River. So the Snake River is a massive river that flows into the Columbia that eventually flows into the Pacific Ocean. Um, and it's where the Bruno and the Jarbage Rivers kind of empty into eventually, I think. In any case, the, the reason that Snake River is important is because it is a spot on the Oregon Trail um, called Three Rivers Crossing where everybody who settled in the west who came over from the uh you know came over from the midwest and east coast to the west coast yeah via, missouri and- yeah via the oregon trail they crossed this river and it was one of the most dangerous river crossings because the snake river is no joke um and you know there were unfortunately lots of tragedies that happened lots of livestock lost people lost 
um, you know, when the conditions were rough, fairies would break. And they used to do reenactments of this on an annual basis where they would like have a ferry crossing, but they would actually, even in modern days, like even the eighties and nineties, they would lose livestock into the river because it was oh. so rough. Yeah. So in Glens Ferry, they, uh, I don't know if they still do it, but they had the three island crossing and they wouldn't just, um, like do a recreation with the ferry. Like they would actually take covered wagons across oh. and people would ride like horses and um growing up there um it seemed like every year they would lose like at least a horse and they would have to rescue somebody downstream so i don't know if they still still do it or not um it's one of those things that you know they kind of came, came to expect um but you know it was always you know tragic for the folks that were doing the reenactments but yeah it, like you said it's it's no joke it's um Pretty, pretty rough. And then Glens Ferry is named for the guy who built a ferry and he would ferry people across yeah. the river there at the Three Island Crossing. I'm guessing his name was Glenn. I think it was Fred. <laughs> Fred exactly. Fred Glenn. <laughs> Glenn Fred. No, I don't know. Yeah, um, I'm guessing Glenn. But um, That's a solid choice. But so you grew up in Glens Ferry and that was kind of a fun, a fun place to stop. Now, um, I wanted to do a whole feature on, I said three rivers, it's three Island crossing because to me it's, mm-hmm. there's such an amazing story there to tell, but we didn't have the time. We just didn't have the time to stop and film it, to go into the state park and, and do all, do all the things that you need. It takes some time to put a lens on things and get enough coverage and think about the story that you're going to tell. So I'm going to have to go back to Glens Ferry and do that on a separate trip. But it is, it is definitely worth mentioning on this podcast. And it's worth mentioning that you grew up there and that we stopped in Glen Ferry at the stop. This is the one thing on this first BDR video that I did not do a very good job capturing at all. Like there's, look, you talk about my camera skills and what I shot well and what I didn't shot well, but I didn't get an exterior video of the stop because from the outside, the stop looks like a place that you should not stop at. Um, it's this little restaurant and it looks like I'm talking like the, it's got like broken blinds in the windows. And I remember you're like, yeah, this is a great place. We'll do it at the stop. And we pulled in, I was like on the radio and I've got all the radio recordings. I was like, uh, Chris, are you sure? Like, this doesn't look like, this is like a solid two on a scale of one to 10 <laughs> on the outside. And you're like, you're like, look, we can go someplace else if you want to. It's no big deal. I was like, no, I trust you, but it looks sketchy on the outside. You're like, it's, it's, I remember it as being good food. We went in. It was great. It was really great food. And it was like people working there were really nice. And clearly it's a yeah. family place that lots of people in Glens Ferry are going to. Yeah, it's kind of an institution, Glens Ferry. So if you go to Glens Ferry, you got to go to the stop. Stop at the stop. So, um, but yeah, I'm glad that we took that little trip down memory lane. But also at this point too, um, it was like over 100 degrees and we were just covered in dust from the trip because um, that that drive between Jarbage and Glens Ferry is just... Um, I don't know if it's like a lot of roads that are used by like ranches and things like that. And so the, the roads are just, everything's just like the dirt's just, just uh, pulverized into this fine dust. Um, not like Albert, De- Albert desert fine, but really fine. And so we're cruising along and there's rooster tails of dirt coming up behind us and we pull into town and we're just like sweaty and hot and dusty and, um, tired from having no sleep the night before. And, and, 
we weren't really sure if this uh, oasis, you know, called the stop is really an oasis and <laughs> the kids are getting a little hungry and grumpy. Yep. So that's just kind of painting the picture as we pull into Glens Ferry. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was, as my daughter would say, it looked a little sus, it was a little suspect, <laughs> um, but it was fantastic. So we got food, we hit the road again, we got on some paved roads because um, it's just the way, what the BDR does is it kind of zigzags between dirt roads. You got to get on paved road to get on another dirt road. And this was the first section right after Glens Ferry that I'd never driven before. And it's this strange section between Glens Ferry and Anderson Dam. Anderson Dam sits on the South Fork of the Boise River. Um, and it's at, it's kind of where the town of Pine, Idaho and Featherville, Idaho sit right on the dam, right on that uh, South Fork of the Boise River. And so the, the terrain is really interesting because you're still definitely in the desert, but you can see the mountains on the horizon. And every now and then you get like a tree, like a juniper tree or something, I, you know, or a little, a little, um, uh, evergreen tree will pop up someplace where there's a little extra shade and water and, and slowly, slowly, slowly the terrain starts to get a little bit more green, a little bit cooler. Cause right now, you know, between Glens Ferry and Anderson Dam, you're climbing up from, uh, 2000 feet to probably 4,000 feet or so, I think. And so it's cooling off just a little bit at that particular time. It had been so hot for so long. There were thunderstorms popping up, which when you're traveling in the summer in Idaho, in the back country, it's actually really scary because thunderstorms and lightning storms are what causes the majority of the forest fires out there. And that's one of the things that we were super, super, super mindful of. So we enjoyed a little bit of, uh, you know, the temps cooling off from like 106, I think maybe got up to 111 at one point. Um, down. Yeah, just after we left Glens Ferry, um, it got up to 111. Yeah, so, so it cooled down to it like got really hot. Yeah, it was like 90 or something like that when we we're heading in this stretch, which was a lot cooler com- comparatively, um, and it, and just beautiful. I mean, just beautiful in a different way. And it was fun for me because I had never seen that particular stretch before. Um, and so this part of the BDR runs into the highway. I think it's Highway 75 that runs through Mountain Home, Idaho, and runs through um, Fairfield, yeah. And then eventually you could take it to go to Twin Falls, Idaho, or you could take it to go to Ketchum, Idaho, or you could keep going straight and go to Craters of the Moon or drop down into um, City of Rocks. And so it's a really awesome highway, but you jump on the highway for about 10 miles maybe. and then jump back on dirt roads for this final stretch, this final stretch into Anderson Dam, and it's easy dirt roads. Nothing technical so far. Like super, super easy. Anybody could do this in just about any rig. Um, and it was a little surreal for me to be driving into Anderson Dam on this particular road because I take Highway 75 all the time. We go to catch them all the time. We it's a highway that we take when we're doing overlanding adventures, when we're doing non-overlanding adventures for work. I mean, Kate takes that road all the time. It's, we have driven by the turnoff so many times into Anderson Dam and to actually turn off on it and drive on that road was really cool and really surreal. It's an easy drive, but it was one of those moments in the trip where I was like, oh, I've driven by, I've driven by that road so many times and now I'm finally on it. I wonder what I'm going to see. 
Yeah, and that's one of the things that, was, that I think I was like really looking forward to on the whole BDR trip is, um, you know, like one of our first podcasts, we we're talking about like what got us into overlanding and, you know, growing up, we would go for Sunday drives and I would see these roads and, and it's like, where does that go? And, you know, sometimes my dad had an answer. He's like, oh, you know, I'll take you to Pine or whatever. But we never took those roads. And here we are on this uh, BDR trip and we're, we're taking those roads. Yeah. And not only are we taking those roads, we're taking the roads that, you know, spur off of those roads and go into, you know, who knows where. You can see it on a map, but we have no idea what, you know, is between us and you know, the next, the next stop or even where the next stop is. Yeah. So that was really exciting. Totally. And, and, and then coming into the, the South Fork of the Boise river. So the South Fork of the Boise river has been featured on so many of my videos because it's, it is so beautiful. It's so close to home. Um, it's where I took Matt and Kara and Rob, you know, when they were in town before we started, it's just beautiful. And Anderson, um, dam and reservoir sit right on the South Fork of the Boise and, it was so cool to drive across the dam because it is just, it is just phenomenally beautiful. It's a, it's a, I don't know what you'd call it. It's not a cement dam. It's like a rock dam or an earth dam. Oh, is it earthen? Yeah. 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 And so you're, you know, you're pretty high. There's pretty deep canyons in the South Fork of the Boise. Um, and then you cross over and you're, you've got this kind of serene, calm, reservoir on the other side and the the road on the side of the reservoir is so windy and so long it feels like it's about you know 70 miles long when it's probably 10 to get into pine (laughs) because you're just winding back and forth and you can't really go fast because of all the curves and and people you know there's it's it's a well-used part of idaho um but eventually we made our way into pine um, uh, again, a little bit more paved road, not much, maybe five miles of paved road into pine gassed up, or at least I did. I don't think Rob gassed up because he's got like a 37 gallon gas tank in that tundra and he gets better gas mileage than a Jeep. So, um, he didn't, he didn't need to, he didn't need to, he's like, what's the, he's like, what's uh what's the next place? Oh, it's 300 miles from here. I'll be fine. I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> yeah, hundred miles away. We had those gas there. bladder things too. Oh yeah, that's right. What yeah. called the. He had, I yeah, think, an extra, or something like that. yeah, an extra ten gallons in those in those. Uh, they're like new age uh, jerry cans. They're uh, bladders, uh, and they're good and bad. I think he used them uh, at least once on the trip, and I think there's some good and bad to him. Um, okay, okay. So in Pine, we drive Featherville is just a few more miles down the road, um, and the reason that we had to drive the Featherville was because we had a detour. We had a detour. Um, because the road was closed up to Trinity Mountain. So the BDR goes into Pine, and then from Pine, it drives up a pretty easy road that I've driven many times up to Trinity Mountain or the Trinity Mountains. And there's a beautiful fire lookout up there at about 9,000 feet. Um, and there are three lakes. There's Trinity Lakes. There's, I think it's like the Roaring Springs and the Little Roaring Springs or something like that lake up there. And it's a really special place for me. Number one, because it's, I think, one of the most underrated most beautiful places in the whole state. Number two, because it's the place that Kate and I had our very first overlanding experience together. And number three, which we have talked about in this, on this podcast, number three, um, it's the place that the four of us had our first over real overlanding experience together. So when, when I caught the bug, Kate caught the bug, you, you gave the bug to me. So you'd had the bug for a long time. 
and we got Elsha in um, the bug, that's the first place we went. And we went from Trinity Mountain then down to the, the I think, the Middle Fork of the Boise River um, or the North Fork of the Boise River on this one trip in September years and years and years ago. So it really holds a special place in my heart. And I was loath to give it up. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I was thinking about it, too, that I think that's the first time I uh, saw a rooftop tent in action because you just got in the Smitty Belt. <laughs> oh, my God. I was so frustrated. So... Or we got to camp late. And the sun goes down in Idaho. Um, it starts getting earlier and earlier uh, in September. So the sun was going down about eight o'clock or something like that, or eight thirty. And um, and I was I couldn't figure out how to use those stupid tension rods to get the uh, to get the windows set up. And I remember I was like I was so frustrated because it was dark. And Kate was like, "Will, calm down. It's gonna be okay." And I was like, "You don't understand. I can't get the rods in." And like I never got them in. It took me like another couple weeks to figure out how to actually do the tension rods, which is so silly in the grand scheme of things. But yeah, that's that was maybe the second time we'd use that rooftop tent. Yeah. And I think that was kind of like where we, uh, I think that was the trip where we kind of like transitioned from campers into overlanders. So remember Elsha, um, Elsha was like, this is, is a great camp spot. Um, this is really, really nice. And she's like, what are we doing tomorrow? We're like, why we're are leaving. We leaving? <laughs> yeah. She's like, yeah. Why, why? why would we leave it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a legitimate question, it is. It but is. we want to see what was up over the next hill. That's right. Yeah. So, so we um, couldn't, but yeah, it was a bummer to miss it. Um, right. but we, but at the same time, we didn't end up exactly in a horrible place either. We didn't. And and the reason that we, it was an intentional detour because we needed to leave at a certain time of year. And this is where being an Idaho native really, really helps. We knew, we knew there is a small, there's a small amount of time in the summer, in the early summer that you can actually do the BDR and make it all the way through. So I don't know if anybody who listens to this podcast watches Trail Recon. <laughs> that was uh, that's a joke. Um, but he recently tried to go to the Magruder uh, corridor, which is a big part of the BDR, and he got turned around because the road was closed. The road was closed because of fires. The road was closed because of maintenance. Um, and so there is a there is this window in the early summer, right after the snow melts. And things are still so wet that fire season hasn't really kicked into gear yet. And probably fire season was a bigger concern than snow, although snow will stop you dead in your tracks. Um, And so that's why we left when we did. We left on, I think it was the 11th or 12th of July, knowing that we were not going to be able to do the Trinity part of the BDR. But because we're locals, we knew a pretty scenic detour. Yeah. And um, like Rob had tried, had attempted the Idaho BDR, what, twice before? Yeah, from the north though. Yeah, and one time he had to go back because of snow. And I think the other time he had to go back because of fire. That's right. Exactly. So he kind of got, yeah, so he got kind of the brunt of both. Right. And this time um, he got through it. And so he had to turn back for a different reason, but. You know, I want to foreshadow anything too much. um, (laughs) The big mystery of why Rob left (laughs) the BDR. But so that's a perfect example because he tried it twice and ran into those two things. And I remember he was on the podcast a long time ago when we were talking talking about this. And he was like, well, when you're doing the BDR, let me know because I've tried it twice. I haven't been able to do it. Um, And so so I think the timing was right. And it was worth giving up Trinity as much as I love it, Um, especially Mm -hmm. knowing that we could stay up at James Creek Summit. So... Um, for those of you who are listening, who are who care about uh, the the terrain, when you get to Pine, 
you're at the foot of the central Idaho mountains. Um, and so into Featherville, which is just up the road a bit, is like a launching point for the mountains that lead into the Sawtooth, the mountains that lead into the soldiers, the mountains that lead into um, basically the rest of mountainous Idaho. And so the drive up from Featherville um, to this place where we stayed is super beautiful, especially when you come off of the desert. Like it's really different. There's trees, there's shade, there's like these vistas around every corner. I mean, it's just really, really, really scenic. And it was getting a lot cooler, which was great. Um, the The route takes you up, the route that we did, instead of going up to Trinity and then running along the ridge and dropping down to the river, we went this other way. Um, uh, it was more northerly. So we were like north, I guess it would be like northeasterly um, deviating from the BDR. Um, on our way to Atlanta, Idaho, essentially, is, is this route. And it goes through a place called Rocky Bar. And Rocky Bar was an old mining town. And there are a billion of these around Idaho, these little old, almost ghost town places that started with mining because Idaho is kind of like the eastern front of the gold rush back in the 1880s. And there it was actually more silver taken out of Idaho than any other place in the country. So and that's in, uh, you know, we'll talk about that more when we get into Northern Idaho and into like the Avery and Wallace area. But these, the reason that Idaho became what it is, is because of the minerals and then because of the wood of, of the forests. That's why it was actually civilized because before that happened, Idaho was just the land that no one else wanted. If you look at Idaho, it's like mostly public land. It's mostly mountains and trees and like not a lot of farming. Uh, and it's not connected to any large body of water. And so it's like not great. It's like you know, Oregon, you've got the massive rivers and the ocean versus Idaho. You've got a bunch of white water. You've got some uninhabitable terrain and it's really hard to grow anything. So basically like Montana and Utah and Oregon and Washington were like, we want this land and we don't care what happens to the rest. And that's how Idaho was formed. And that's why it's such a strange looking state. Well, then they found something. Then they found minerals. They found gold and silver and a lot of other minerals in the mountains. And they realized that there was enormous wealth in the untouched, pristine, super uh, thickly forested mountains. And so that's where a lot of these sounds come from. So I know that was a diatribe, but that's why Rocky Bar uh, started. And it's, it's, there's Rocky Bar, there's Placerville, there's Idaho City, there's I mean, yeah Warren yes, Silver City all of them Boulder City, well and and a lot of people too think that Idaho that our nickname is the potato state, and yes we do grow a ton of potatoes and they are delicious and they are the best in the country. Sorry Maine, um, <laughs> but um, we're actually the gem state. That's right. Yeah, and you know it's and there's a reason for that. Um, there's a lot of you know minerals and yes gemstones that come from Idaho. That's right. And not a lot of people know that they think it's just potatoes. Yeah. And what's that shirt um, or that bumper sticker? Idaho, not just potatoes, but mostly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so, yeah. But um, yeah. you know, we do have other things here too, and some of them are very, very precious. So, not, I'm not just talking about you, Will. Oh, <laughs> so <laughs> the, the so the town of Rocky Bar is one of these little hardy little places that people still have houses, and there's this really interesting story 
um, about halfway between Rocky Bar and where we stayed, um, which was James Creek Summit. James Creek Summit is about 8,000 feet. It's this beautiful spot where you've got just vistas kind of in every direction. It's in the middle of a lot of dead growth where um, pine beetles have killed a lot of trees, which is kind of sad, but it also makes the views a little bit better because you can kind of see through the trees better to see the the peaks that are around you. So it's a really beautiful place. Um, on your way on on the way to Atlanta, Idaho, which is another mining place on the river, on the Boise River. Um, there is this monument out in the middle of nowhere. There's this little rock plaque that's out there. And I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, I was like, Kate, what is that? And she's like, I don't know. It looks like this, this, a plaque on the side of this hill. It has some writing on it. And I was like, what in the heck? All right, what is this thing? And it's this monument. There's two of them out there. I featured one in the video and it's to, um, it's to dedicated to the pioneer women who were living in these towns and living a hard, hard life back in the 1880s and early 1900s, especially in these really undeveloped places like Rocky Bar in Atlanta that were, you know, glorified tent cities. Um, and, and Peg Leg Annie, I don't really get to tell the story in the video, so, it, but it's such a great story. Um, Peg Leg Annie and her friend Dutch M um, uh, were, were making a trip from Rocky Bar to Atlanta and they were crossing the same, the same pass, the same road that we were on. And they were doing it, I think, in October, and they got hit with a flash storm, which happens out there. Um, cold front rolled in, and they were, it snowed like three feet, and they got stuck out there in this mountain. Um, and there's no way to contact anybody back then. There's no way to, to do anything. And she could have walked out, but she tried to save her friend, Dutch M., um, who she covered in all of her clothes. And three days later, when the mailman um, went out looking for her because nobody had seen her um, in three days, they found... Um, peg leg Annie, totally incoherent, um, overtaken with, you know, hypothermia. Um, her friend Dutch M was covered in, in, uh, peg leg Annie's clothes, but had frozen to death. Um, and so they, they bring peg leg Annie back down to Rocky bar. They call for the doctor, right? And we think, Oh good. The doctor is going to be there quickly. No, 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 no. It was like four days before the doctor could get there. Um, and she had terrible, terrible gangrene. And they basically just tried to keep her drunk the whole time. Imagine that for four days. It's like the most incredible pain. They, they thawed her feet out immediately, which is probably like the worst thing they could have done. Her feet thawed out and just immediately were, were painful. And so when the doctor got there, they amputated both of her, both of her legs. Um, I think below the knee or maybe it was just above the knee. Um, and that's why they called her peg leg. I mean, it sounds cruel today, but that was, that was, that's what they call, that's what it says on the plaques, peg leg Annie. Um, and so after that, um, she, she managed to survive. She managed to thrive in some ways during the prohibition. She would sell whiskey out of her bathtub and she basically had a chair that she sat in with a shotgun out in Rocky Bar and someone would come up and and she would test them a little bit. And if she thought that they weren't going to tell on her, she would sell them some whiskey, which was like under the house. Um, a, a man came into town and she f- fell in love with him and they had plans to go leave Rocky Bar. And he, uh, you know, she had all of her life savings that she gave to him to go set up a house for them so she could join him. Well, he just conned her out of her money. You know, it was one of these really sad, 
um, stories where she was just dealt a really hard blow. And in today's day and age, we're like, well, just, you know, deny the charge. Well, you know, that didn't happen back then. The money was gone. There's no way to track those people down. It was all cash. And, and so, um, she wound up, you know, she died in, in relative old age for, for the time, especially considering, um, that she wasn't very mobile. The town took care of her. Um, and really, um, she was kind of a beloved character and I'm not, I, I, you know, I, I can't say that she was like, uh, beloved character because she was so kind and nice to everybody. I think she was a hard pioneer woman, but she was their hard pioneer woman and they took care of her. And I just love that story, uh, even though it's, you know, it's tragic in, in a few ways, but it really gives you a sense for the hardiness of the people who lived back then in these Idaho towns, what they had to go through and how they really had limited options. I mean, when you're a woman in that time and you don't have feet, you, know, you have very limited options. And she still wound up, she still found a way to survive and thrive, even in a small town like Rocky Bar. So that's my little story about Peg Leg that I couldn't tell in the video that I just think is so interesting. Yeah. And then one of the cool things too, is that if you, if you're to, like just driving on some of these back roads throughout Idaho and just kind of like through the mountain West in general, um, you'll, if you keep your eye open, um, every once in a while you'll come across something that's really surprising like um, a plaque in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> nowhere, or an obelisk, and you'll find like if you take the time to stop and and read it, um, there's a reason that they're there. You know, you might find, you know, the original spot of old Fort Boise, yep. or you know, Peg Lake, you know, the site of Peg Lake Annie, or you know, another spot where you know some some pioneers, you know, had to weather a really, really tough winter or something. And so if you, you just keep an eye open, you can find these, these places and I'm sure you can find them online, but I don't know. It's uh, there's something about just kind of stumbling on them on your own. Yeah. Um, that just makes it a little bit more, more special uh, But at yeah. the same time too. It, you know, it pays to do a little research before you go into some of these areas. Well, see, I didn't know and, about, uh, I didn't know about Peg Leg Annie until we had, we had driven that road before. You know, I, that the first time yeah. I heard, the first time I heard that story was when I read the plaque, um, and that was yeah. you know that was I don't know eighteen months ago or something like that, um, and that's when I went and did some research. So like the you know uh, my eyes were opened not because I was like searching the internet for stories on the BDR because we weren't actually on the BDR at that point is is just like you said we were like what the heck is that we stopped and read it and we're like oh my gosh what what is this crazy story and Idaho is full of that so is every place but Idaho is just full of that um, and. And one story that we didn't get to tell as well is in Atlanta. So we stayed at James Creek Summit, which is just maybe 15 minutes outside of Atlanta. Beautiful, beautiful place. We stayed this little teeny tiny, not even really a campsite. It's kind of a turnaround, but there's nobody out there. We had zero cars come by. Um, so it was still very, very private, even though it was kind of like right off the road. But um, Atlanta, which we drove, we almost drove through Atlanta the next day. We kind of got down next to Atlanta and then, veered back towards the BDR. But Atlanta is another little mining town where, um, uh, when Kate was a kid or before Kate was a kid, her dad and her grandpa built a cabin in Atlanta and they built it by hand. And when Kate was a kid, this is the place she would go in the summers and in the winters, they would snowmobile in, they would drive over James Creek summit. And I remember when I told Kate's parents about James Creek summit that we had driven over it. And then we were going there on the BDR. They're like, Oh no, that is not a good road. That is not a good road. We never took that road in. It's because at the time it was a lot sketchier than it is now. I mean, now it's, you know, pretty mild. 
Um, but they would, they would drive to the point where they couldn't drive anymore. And then they would get on snowmobiles and take snowmobiles over the pass into Atlanta and go to their cabin, which, you know, only had a wood stove that took a day for it to kind of like thaw everything out. And that's how Kate kind of grew up with adventure in her life in Idaho. And so we didn't get to go into Atlanta and tell that story. If you look at the map that's shown on the videos over and over and over again, you'll see in kind of red crayon or red wax, you'll see Kate's cabin um, as a story. But since we didn't actually go into um, Atlanta, which was, I was really disappointed. We were um, originally, Kate's dad was going to meet us. Kate's mom and dad were going to meet us and drive with us into Atlanta. They were going to meet us and stay with us um, in Glens Ferry or in Pine, I think, but timing didn't work out. So because they weren't there, I didn't want to drive in and tell their story on a video. So we'll have to go back to Atlanta and tell that story with Jim. I think it'd be really cool to like actually go to the cabin. And that's the first place Kate saw a bear was in Atlanta, Idaho, on the deck of their cabin. She was like, you know, on the deck. And her mom was like, oh, Katie, I think you should come inside now. <laughs> like, <laughs> lock the door because there's a bear sitting there. Um, but that's, you know, that's this part of Idaho. That's most of Idaho, actually. There's bears everywhere. Um, so, yeah, yeah that's, and, that's an, un, an untold story that we will revisit in a, in a different episode. Yeah, definitely. And um it's, it's interesting too because there's a lot of towns in Idaho that have um, connections to the South, and uh, you know mm. Atlanta is named Atlanta, not just pure by chance. So, um, and it's also a great place for uh, hot springs too. If you like hot springs, then I don't know, maybe you should edit this out. But um, Atlanta <laughs> has some pretty great hot springs there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's just so many different uh, stories throughout the state, and you know, in like as we do these podcasts about the BDR, we'll go into some some stuff that you know we kind of knew ahead of time, but also things that we stumbled on, and you know just kind of blew our minds. At least I know that I just was just totally shocked about some of the stories of some of the places that we visited that I had no idea existed, and honestly, that um, you know people that have lived in Idaho their whole lives, and you know usually I'll tell them like, oh, we went to this place, and they're like, oh yeah, I've been there before, but there's like so many places that we went to. And they're like, well, I've never heard of that. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and that's what, that's part of the, um, the, the things that I just really love about the BDR is, um, I don't think they intend to necessarily go by these places. Um, I think it's more just by chance, but, um, it's a pretty great coincidence. Totally. Yeah. And we'll talk more about that. I mean, like there are places that, um, are kind of off the grid and want to stay off the grid and people live there and they love, living there and they don't need it to be connected. You know, they very much appreciate that no one knows about where it is. I mean, there's a place called Secesh, Idaho that's called Secesh because they were secessionists and they started a secessionist community after this, after, you know, their side lost the civil war on this river. And we don't even think about that now. It's just called, you know, it's called Secesh, Secesh, Idaho is a little, you know, it's a, it's a nothing place on the map that's got this really strange, weird history. And we'll get into a lot of that in episodes to come. I, I, I think when we pick this back up again next time, we'll, we'll start with uh, the next section of the BDR, section two of the BDR, which runs um, up to Yellow Pine. And there was so, oh my God, so many stories to tell about that Yellow Pine trip. So many disappointments, mistakes, obstacles, rewards. I mean, it was that was when the trip started to get a little bit crazy and when we started to vanish into 
the forgotten parts of Idaho. I mean, truly, it's it's when you get through this first section of the BDR, you get away from known places into unknown places that are hard to get to that are hiding. They're just hiding in the mountains out there and they don't want to be found. And there's lots of, lots of fun stuff. Like, you know, we'll talk about Florence and the road in the floor. I mean, just, there's just so, I mean, there's so many stories. I'm getting excited just thinking about it because Florence is one of my favorite places ever. Um, so in any case, I think we should wrap this now, Chris. And, um, I just want to mention, uh, a few things I want to mention. We uh, have a great relationship with a company called Wheeled Life. That's W-H-E-E-L-E-D-L-Y-F-E. If you go to wheeledlife.com, they have really great lifestyle apparel for wheeling and overlanding. Um, uh, Venture to Rome is also has a great relationship um, and partnership with um, Rugged Bound Supply Company, which, um, which is the North American supplier for big country 4x4 products out of South Africa. Um, and recently I'm super excited about this factor 55, uh, came on as, um, as a, uh, I would call them a sponsor, but I'm really, they're more of a partner, um, of the channel. And there's some really fun content that, um, I've been developing with factor 55 fun stuff, educational stuff. Um, and you know, clearly going to showcase some of their, some of their, uh, research and world-class products. And they're also a Boise company, so they're very accessible. So I just want to share that. I'm really, really excited about uh, the partnerships that we have. I think we'll probably bring on a few more partnerships in the future as well. But these ones, uh, I know the people. I know the owners. We work together. We have kind of shared philosophy on how to work together and you know what makes a good product. And so i um, super excited to add Factor 55 to the list of stellar relationships that we have on this channel and on this podcast. And I, I know we'll get Justin from Factor 55 on this podcast. Justin, if you're listening, just wait. I'm coming for you, man. You're going you're gonna to come on this podcast and, and you're going to make me sound... Um, really dumb when it comes to recovery because because <laughs> he can do that to most people because he's really really smart so anyway um yeah justin's a freight train man yeah oh that's a great way of describing him a freight train of in, of yeah. like recovery information yeah yeah he's a great guy definitely so thanks chris thanks for walking down memory lane i cannot wait to start on on the next section and um and start telling more of the stories and giving people a sense for what the BDR is in Idaho, the the land, the trails, certainly talk about, you know, the relationships that developed that are stronger now than ever. Um, the people that joined us on the trail, the people that left the trail, it was really, it was a really fun adventure. And like every day, something, there was something very new that we had to pivot new people, new trails, trails, closed, new obstacles, you know, problems with rigs, uh, range issues, just you name it. Um, you know, camera drone issues, you name it. It was all happening (laughs) every single day on this trip. So I cannot wait to get into kind of the meat of it. I think that this was kind of warming up and I think the really, some of the really fun and interesting stuff is still to come. Yeah, I definitely agree. Can't wait to, to do the next episode with you, Willis. All right. Well, everybody who's listening to this, thank you for listening and we will catch you next time.